0: Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book writer Trevor Fernandez Lenkovich about what comics he would take into a supervolcano eruption apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor, Comic Scene, where you can read comic news and become part of a community of fellow comic lovers. To find out more, be sure to visit comicscene.org. And on a side note, if you do enjoy the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will we know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. Now, without further ado, on with the show! Hello, Trevor Fernandez Lenkewicz. I I don't think I said that right again, did I, Trevor? Because we I pra- <laughs> no. I literally just practiced. How do you, how is it? Is
1: Lenkovic? Uh, Lenkovic, yeah. My, my, my the, now I get it right. <laughs> for the comics folk, it's always the Sinkevich uh,
0: Ah, comparison. yes, Lenkovich. That's great, man. Um, that's a heck of a combo of a, of, a, of a last name. Oh, dude, you're telling me it's
1: <laughs> uh, it's a hassle. I'll tell you that much.
0: <laughs> that's awesome dude um but anyway, uh, no, thank you for coming on the show trevor absolute pleasure to have you um and for those that haven't come across you just yet uh what do you do in the world of comics
1: oh boy uh so it, first of all it's awesome to be here thanks for having me sam um sure. i primarily am a comic book writer but because i've brought my my first couple of productions, direct-to-consumer through crowdfunding, it's kind of forced me to be uh, a jack-of-all-trades. And so my primary focus is writing and editing, but I have by default sort of become an art director uh, and a and, and a designer and a pre-press manager. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of got my hands dirty with everything, and I also feel like, especially in independent comics, when you're steering the ship as the writer, it's also really important to have a basic understanding of everyone else's job. So um, I've made myself at least basically functional as a line artist, as a colorist, as a letterer, um, if just to better understand how to communicate well with my team and make sure that I'm not being uh, unreasonable in any of my asks.
0: Fair play, man. Fair play.
1: Um, Now,
0: um, you've managed to kind of reach out to me to come on the show um about your your upcoming kickstarter rise so tell us, tell us about that
1: yeah so it's it's a really interesting one in so far as how it came about because i always said that i would not do independent superheroes mm. um because i think more often than not they come off as just this weird acknowledgement that people won't be able to write for The titans of our industry you know the the batmans supermans wonder womans and um i i didn't want it to come off as that and i also didn't want to do something that was contrarian or uh vulgar just to kind of make for shock value um but that said Mm -hmm. uh, after my most recent project minutes to midnight i really found myself wanting to kind of write a story that deals with the male ego and I thought about the best way to attack that in comics and I mean what better thing to do that with than the superhero the perfect man um, especially in how they're represented in our industry and and throughout the medium and its history and so Rise kind of came about in in such a fashion and it's it's different you know it's it's a superhero drama that subverts the hero's journey in order to really take a deep dive into the male ego through the image of the perfect man. And so um, it's, I think, in many ways, a loving embrace of everything I love about superheroes. But it's also more about the type of person that it takes to be a Superman um, and the, the burdens that that has on our understanding of our own masculinity in the modern day.
0: Fair play, man. That's awesome.
1: Um, and um,
0: how are you starting off this Kickstarter? Is it like a, um, like a twenty-two page issue or a longer story than that?
1: Yeah, it's thirty-two pages. Um, and it's and I'm really really excited. This is the first time I've actually gotten to say it. Is that uh, we're mm-hmm. going to have a uh, two triple page spreads. So we have fold out pages on this issue. We finally got the confirmation from our printer that we're able to do that. So uh 32 pages with two triple page spreads nice man
0: that's epic absolutely epic so definitely quite quite a unique uh book um particularly in print
1: (laughs) yeah i mean you know i i think that there's a misunderstanding or there could be a potential misconception that i'm doing like the whole deconstruction of the superhero thing uh and there's a place for that uh watchman is my favorite comic of all time Mm. um jeff lemire's black hammer is fantastic so on and so forth but um i don't think i can deconstruct the superhero in a way that either of those two incredible talents have already done and so what what this is going to be doing or attempting to do is effectively deconstructing man through the image of superhero um, through the lens of the superhero if that makes sense
0: yeah sure man sure um, and when, when does the kickstarter actually start
1: uh, we go live the morning of October the 25th, cool. and uh, we're we're incredibly stoked. Got a lot of really fun offerings for people to get in on the ground floor, like mm-hmm. early bird discounts, uh, commissions from the series artist Ryan Best, along with, for the first time ever in any of my Kickstarter campaigns, uh, the opportunity to snag up to two pages of original art. Nice, man. Very cool. Very
0: cool. Um, and uh, when when this episode goes live, that'll be a couple of days away that the Kickstarter actually starts. So everybody go search Rise on Kickstarter um, or just click the link in the show notes and you'll go onto the pre-launch page. Make sure you click on uh, notify me on launch um, and then you can check out the full page um, as and when uh, it actually launches. Um, and uh, where where else can people find you online?
1: yeah um i'm on all the major social media uh the the website formerly known as twitter at p watch press mm-hmm. uh on instagram at pocket watch press facebook as well pocket watch press and then I've recently adopted uh blue sky as a potential uh mm-hmm. twitter contingency and sure man. um I believe I'm on there as t f l rights it's just my initials underscore rights so uh yeah that's that's where you can find me online i also have a Substack as well it's uh, uh, a pocketwatchpress.substack.com
0: great and all of those links are in the show notes folks so feel free to go check out trevor on uh, whichever bit of the internet you uh frequent so uh yes um onwards and upwards now i do have some bad news for you trevor and you know (laughs) it's it's sod's law that just as you are launching a Kickstarter, a super volcano erupts. Of course, you know why not? Because where, whereabouts are you in the
1: states? I'm in Connecticut on the east coast.
0: Connecticut got you, yeah. So that's going to be interesting when Yellowstone does explode. Obviously, you're you're not going to get the immediate impact, but you're still definitely going to get like all of the fallout in terms of the ash and stuff like that um so my my question for you is what is your action plan for
1: survival man i don't know i i I, this was a really tough one to confront because i'm just like like what is left you know like do i just go face first into the lava and like make (laughs) it easy on myself um I feel like the only possible option is to go to the highest elevation possible, Mm -hmm. um, bring my favorite form of entertainment, because I I am by no means like a handy hunter or gatherer type, (laughs) you know, so it's like, is this one of those where I like start the plot to a movie surrounding me learning how to become uh, Tarzan or. Do I just kind of sit there and wait for the end, like some weird piece of poetry, you know?
0: <laughs> nice man, nice. So you're just going to be kind of like mulling it over, um, on on top on top of a mountain.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I I I hate that. That's my answer. I really do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like well, most, You know, you gotta go like with the, the most. Flow. Bo- yeah it's like the most boring answer possible it's like yeah do it i think i just sit there and like question how how we got there it's like (laughs) hey maybe maybe we really should have thought about this global warming thing a couple times over you know (laughs) sure
0: man Uh, well let's say you know you, you manage to get to the top of a mountain you take a camping chair up with you and maybe a couple of 40s or something like that um and uh you're you're looking out onto onto the mountain as kind of like the lava is starting to uh slowly come up um and in these um maybe not the last moments but definitely kind of on its way um you start thinking about kind of comics and things like that to take your mind off of things and uh the first question that you ask yourself is what's the first comic you remember enjoying
1: yeah so that that's got to be batman uh 655 it it was the beginning of the grant morrison batman run um i read it way after it actually came out on the stands but uh i remember (laughs) well actually that's a lie the first comic I actually sat down to read was Final Crisis number one. And I read through Final Crisis and I and I went through it just absolutely gobsmacked by J.G. Jones artwork and confused out of my mind why Batman was dead, why Superman uh, could sing evil away and why Wonder Woman was being controlled by this weird uh, predator looking mask. And then that led me into Batman 650, 655. And I think reading through that Grant Morrison run and, and kind of continuing on with Batman into the Snyder era uh that's that's really what made me a fan of comics um and uh, surprisingly or at least to the surprise of everyone that I have ever told that final crisis was my first comic did not scare me away
0: fair play man fair play that's awesome um and like how how old were you
1: i probably would have been about 16 17 i probably 16 when i read final crisis and I think I, I kind of started becoming a more adamant comic book reader by seventeen,
0: mm, I see. which is um, weird, right? Because I feel yeah. like when
1: when everybody like discovers sex and and
0: mm-hmm.
1: f- women or men, whatever your preference is, they're like, "Oh, who has time for comics?" And I was kind of the opposite.
0: <laughs> <laughs> did the old switcheroo? Um, excellent. Um, and you like? How did you pick it up? Was it Walmart uh, comic book shop? Where was it? Final
1: crisis I got on eBay. I I begged my mom for it because I had um I was hanging out with a, a buddy of mine and he was kind of into reading comics at the time. He was like picking up graphic novels here and there, and he was telling me about all of these Batman stories. And I remember thinking to myself, it's "Like, man, these really are not necessarily for kids." Uh, and I grew up loving Batman. You know, I mean, like I was watching reruns of the animated series as a kid, and then when they did the new Batman adventures. You know, I was watching that as it was coming out, along with Batman Beyond and the Justice League and Static Shock. So that was kind of in my my DNA from a very early age. And um, I was kind of, I, I feel like maybe there was a part of me that was always looking for a way into the source material, but I thought I was too old. And once my buddy Jack had kind of started telling me these stories, uh, I I I was desperately looking for a way in at that Point and so I remember going online and looking up everything I could about what was going on with Batman, and I had seen the name Grant Morrison, and I had seen the words Final Crisis, DC Comics event, and I'm like, that sounds enticing. So I begged my mom for Christmas to buy me a full set of Final Crisis, and those were the first floppies I ever owned. Um, and and uh, around that point, I, I was kind of scrounging eBay for comics until eventually I finished the Morrison run. I went into the comic book shop and I was like, what do I do next? And, um, uh, the guy at the counter recommended Scott Snyder, or Greg Capullo's court of owls. And from that point I was hooked. Like I, I was, I came back in a couple of days later to get the next volume. And by the time I returned for the third time, uh, I was really, really upset to find out that, uh, it was going to be like a week before the hardcover for death of the family came out. And let me tell you the extra $8 that it cost to get the hardcover because it came out before the floppy or the, not the floppy before the soft cover trade mm. really broke my 17 year old back. Like <laughs> I, that was that like the, the level of dedication that it took and the level of obsession that, uh, led to me paying the extra eight dollars because i would have had to have wait waited another like two months before the soft trade came out was insane and from that point on uh i became a, a wednesday warrior i started picking up floppies as they were coming out because i just could not wait
0: that's awesome man. that's awesome
1: um and so when
0: when did the idea come about for you to kind of you know
1: create your own stories Honestly, it was really late. I I never thought it was feasible, um, and I I just couldn't even fathom how to start. You know, I mean i I was a science kid in high school mm. and in college, um, and it really came from uh, sort of in college. there was this weird loneliness where I, I just I did not have any friends who liked to talk about comics, right. and I desperately wanted to to engage about. The, the industry and the medium and at that point I think I had been reading comics for like three maybe four years and uh, I started a YouTube channel I started doing reviews and and I eventually it led to interviews and um, I started finding a peer group and you know among my my reviewer slash commentary peers and some of the professionals I was interviewing people were always like why don't you like why aren't you making comics? You know, you seem to sort of have the head for it. And mm. I never, I never really thought about it. Um, and then in 2019, I got a press pass to a Marvel panel at New York Comic Con uh, with, and then the panel in particular had CB Cebulski and Chris Claremont speaking. Right. And I had asked a question about what it was like to reconcile your pure creative intentions with the need to satiate a large corporate entity that's trying to sell products. And um, CB approached me after and he reiterated the age old question. Have you ever thought about working in comics? Mm. And at that point, my answer was not in any honest way until the editor in chief of Marvel asked me that question. Yeah, right. And so, <laughs> yeah, he he handed me his business card. I applied for an editorial internship and ended up interviewing in March of 2020. And then uh, a, a an apocalypse of sorts did happen. Yes. And <laughs> um, the job opportunity was was lost because they couldn't bring anybody into the offices to train. And I, I sulked about it for at least six months. I bet. Man. And, um, yeah, I was really, really upset. And then I realized, you know what? Like, I'm just going to give a go and try doing it myself uh, and and do the research do the work and so I sat down and I read everything I could on you know constructing of comics I tried sitting down and analyzing comics that I love, figuring out why I like them or why certain things might not have worked for me and um, the end of 2020 I kick-started my first comic which turned into a six-issue series uh, that we've now completed and Um, just kind of been hitting the ground running ever since, you know, there just came a point where I decided if I'm going to do it, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put everything I have into it and figure out whether or not this is, um, the path for me. And, you know, here we are three, yeah, almost three years later, um, and, and 300 plus pages of comic book content. Mm-hmm. and um, i'm ex- I'm excited to be creating and working with some incredibly talented people
0: that's awesome man that's awesome now heading back to the mountaintop um <laughs> the the lava continues to grow and there's um a large amounts of ash coming as well i'm just imagining you having a parasol as well and it like falling <laughs> by the way it's like, that's very nice isn't it um but uh you the next question that you ask yourself is what's the funniest comic almost laugh out loud moments in a comic that you've read
1: you know it's it's really weird i had a really really tough time answering this one um because the only thing i could think of was like some weird physical comedy but not that it was like made to be funny but i remember reading the first issue of saga and opening those pages with all of these weird character designs and like uh, a half human who has a TV for a head having sex <laughs> like that. There was something about that that was so zany that I couldn't help but find absolutely staggeringly hilarious. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that would have to be it or, or like the, some of those opening pages to saga number one, where you are just thrust into this incredibly zany and weird world. Something about that. And especially the time I, I like at the time, I think I had, first read it when i was like 18 so of course like anything having to do with sex was automatically funny uh yeah. and then you put you know a tv on people's heads and somehow that scaled exponentially
0: <laughs> yeah know, man it's kind of bizarre um like anybody coming out out of the world of comics um looking in it's just it's kind of like a bizarre thing isn't it it's like what what are you guys smoking Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. It was. um I mean, it's kind of it's funny by default. I feel like, in in a good yeah. way.
0: No, totally, man. Totally, that's a great choice. Um, now switching gears very suddenly, um, and things are about to get real. But what's the saddest comic or most upsetting moment in the comic that you've read?
1: Um, I don't know if it was upsetting. There was something really beautiful about um the first issue to Tom King's Batman run. I am like blatantly not a fan of the run as a whole, but uh, I found that first issue brilliant where Bruce is, um, he can't reach any, any of the justice league. And he he is forced last minute to try to keep a plane. I think it's full of explosives or something from crashing into the center of Gotham. And um, I remember, there's this really beautiful moment where like he's just on the phone with Alfred and he's telling Alfred, he's like, you know, like leave the boys um, these discs with messages I I've already made for them. and And he's like questioning whether or not this was a good death, like whether his parents would be proud of him. And I remember just being so emotionally shaken up by reading that, not because it's like particularly sad, but because it's just like, man, this is like, this it feels right. Like this is what this is what Bruce Wayne would think about every time he's an inch closer to death is whether or not uh this is this would be a good death for um the little boy that got scarred in that alley twenty something years ago. And um yeah, I just I found it really, really uh just it just it makes me emotional. Not that it's necessarily sad, but Mm-hmm. Uh, i i the first yeah. time i read it like i i teared up reading that wow man that's awesome
0: and uh yeah no i mean just case to show like i mean just the power of storytelling at large but i don't know maybe there's something about comics that like really brings that home um
1: just the medium itself um well it's 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 it just i think a part of it too with the character and all the legacy it it, it it's like, man, this feels right, but it's not it's not an angle of the character that I feel like it, but it, but for all to revive his dead son. Um yeah, right. but he's he's trying to stop a plane and he is really only a man. And in the face of all of these things, it's just like him questioning whether or not like his contributions to the world really mattered and whether this was like the right way to go out. And I don't know, it, it, it really, um, it really speaks to like my personal obsession with the idea of legacy and like what you leave behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's also why it connected with me on such a deep level, but yeah, it, it just felt like a really great execution of, um, this character, and maybe even his insecurities, which we don't get to explore very often.
0: Fair play, man. That's awesome.
1: Um, Now, switching
0: gears once again, um, what's the scariest comic or most horrifying moment in a comic that you've read?
1: Uh, The first thing that came to mind was the end of the first volume of Scott Snyder's The Wake, when this entire expeditionary team is basically being... Uh, ripped apart and murdered in a submarine one by one. And like the level of hopelessness that you feel Um, at the end of that volume is insane. Like y- y- there is the, the, the way that like Snyder and Sean Murphy were able to pepper in this idea that like maybe one or two people might make it out alive. And the way that they absolutely squash that is, uh, kind of paralyzing i remember reading that and being like genuinely petrified for those characters
0: that's awesome man um and it's great that you can actually do that in a comic if you do it in the right way um i mean you know comics are notoriously difficult to try and try and build tension um mm-hmm. for, for for readers but uh yeah no that's uh that's awesome like if if it's done in the right way it's it works really well
1: yeah yeah i mean the the particularly difficult thing with comics is that you do not have sound sound is such a huge element to horror you know i mean even even when you're looking at things like um the shining Mm -hmm. in my mind like the most successful elements of the shining are actually the sound design Mm -hmm. and the way that they're able to build like this really tense rhythm through not only like ambient noise but like um when Danny is wheeling his little tricycle around the, uh, the, the inn, the hotel, the grounds, um, there's like this drawl kind of crunchy sound that the wheels make as they're moving and the way that they use that and eventually have that sort of crescendo until, you know, Danny runs into the, the ghosts of the two murder girls. Like, I think that's, that, that was pretty incredible, um and comics don't have that so you have to be really really conscious of what you're doing on a design level uh on a pacing level and particularly in something like the wick you know i I think it was matt hollingsworth that colored sean murphy on that book is the way you're using color and, and atmosphere to really play up the moment that's awesome man
0: um now talking about color and um making the most of the art um Let's uh, move on to my favorite question, and that is, what is your favorite cover?
1: This this is a tough one, and I feel like this is subject to change at pretty much any given time. Um, oh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I really... Like, the first artist that came to mind for me was J.H. Williams. Um, uh, we don't see enough work from him in comics anymore, mm-hmm. but his combination of design and form... And color and texture is pretty much unmatched. And the uh cover that he did for the Sandman overture uh came to mind immediately, just like how beautiful and 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 graphic it is. And it's not incredibly complicated insofar as the composition or in what the cover is communicating. But it just feels like the perfect encapsulation uh, of the, the dream character from uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. And uh, again, like it's really weird. I feel like the only comic book creator on the face of the planet that is not always really prepared to answer the question about like what my favorite covers are. Because I feel like that is constantly changing. Yeah. But this one is really stuck in my head for a long time.
0: Yeah, man. No, it's a, it's a, it's a great cover, and um, yeah, no, it's um it's quite an image. Um, there's a lot going on, really, isn't there?
1: Um, yeah, yeah. Go? It's yeah. yeah, it's it's absolutely stunning, and and it's simple, and it's like I said, in its design, it's very simple. But mm-hmm. I think it just. Hits home at the the oddity and the scale yeah. of this character, his his stories and and his existence. I guess overall, yeah, man, no, that's really cool. Um, no, that's a beautiful one. I'd
0: I'd love to have a kind of you know like a you know A three sized poster of that on my wall. Um, could really soak it
1: in. <laughs> so yeah yeah absolutely imagine like smoking a joint and staring at that for a couple yeah, minutes man. and yeah, then a couple minutes yeah a couple of minutes yeah exactly a couple of minutes turns into a couple of hours no doubt no doubt awesome man um well
0: uh moving on to um another of my favorite questions and that is, what
1: comic do you repeatedly read the most it's got to be Watchmen. uh i reread it once oh. a year at least great um I think it's it's kind of a perfect comic. It's my favorite comic of all time, and not in so far as like it is a gritty take on superheroes, but in what it has to say about the type of person that would put on that suit in the in the real world. And mm-hmm. I, I think you know the the beautiful thing about that story is that it's so layered and it's so nuanced that you can take something new out of it every time. You know, I, I mean, I've read those twelve issues probably eight times. Um, And there's always something new to uh, absorb from the, the, the various contexts of that story, you know, like the, even, even visual framing and the way that certain panels and and the compositions of those panels speak to deeper, um, deeper sensibilities surrounding the characters or what they're going through, you know, like, I remember, for example, like on one of the rereads, really sticking in on the panel of uh, Dan Dryberg walking out of the original Night Owl's house. And he's walking down this alley uh, and it's the way that it's lit is is just it makes him look lonely and sad and schlubby and you have like the sign from night owl one's garage saying that he fixes broken things and yet this Mm -hmm. broken thing just went into his house and came out even more broken you know it it, and that's Mm -hmm. one panel on a nine panel page and so it, it just gives you so much to appreciate and so much to study about how to execute in comics on the highest level possible for sure man um and uh yeah no it's full, full, full of
0: uh lessons from all sorts of angles that book um and uh yeah no that's a that's a great great choice um now moving on in a in a similar vein um what's the most meaningful comic to you
1: i think i think this is an interesting one and it, it's a great question to answer um at different times in life and in the career, but right now it's probably Blue and Green by Rom v. Anand Dark and John Pearson. Um, I read it at a time when I was just beginning to write comics. I was just, I think I had I had written two issues of my first series. And um effectively this is an existential horror about um about wanting to be excellent through jazz and it is haunting and it, it really speaks to the sort of animosity that it requires to become great, but also insofar as how that ambition can can corrupt you and haunt you and change you into something. Um because and and it's it's something that i meditate even on now you know is just the pursuit mm-hmm. of excellence and and the type of monster that you have to have truly inside of you i think to achieve excellence and the restraint that you have to have to keep that monster from consuming every part of you uh after achieving it or even in the process of and um you know i mean this is another another masterclass in how to make comics uh the the way that K kind of oscillates between super loose drawings and super tight semi-realistic drawings and uh i, I it's just like it's it's a perfect comic you know and i, I recommend it to anybody who is even remotely interested in learning how to make comics because it acknowledges all the rules and breaks a lot of them in the right way
0: that's awesome well you, you've sold it to me <laughs> Trevor so yeah no um <laughs> I because I haven't read it yet so yeah no I'll uh, definitely do that and I think because I'll be going to Thought Bubble in uh oh next- me too Next few season. oh will you really oh amazing yeah. man.
1: cool yeah I'll be I'll be in the red shirt hall um D five I think is my space
0: oh sweet dude yeah no I forget off the top of my head what my my table is but I'll come I'll come stop by so that's awesome
1: man I I assume that Ram is going to be there he usually is <laughs> yeah yeah he's awesome I actually I love this book so much that I have it uh, remarked by Ram V and John Pearson and that copy uh, is sitting on a display shelf and then i have a copy for me to read and to get handsy with
0: nice man nice well that's excellent um I'll, I'll look forward to to seeing you there but uh in the in the meantime what's the most underrated comic that you've read
1: i also gotta say it's blue and green yeah. you know i i wish i could have more variety but <laughs> considering how damn much i i adore this book and how damn little conversation is going on around it i i'm gonna have to put this one into the ring It it's It's almost a perfect comic, um, and it's digestible and powerful. Um, uh, Yeah, I I don't think enough people are talking about this book. I feel like every time I go on an interview and I get the chance to bring it up, people are always like, what are you talking about? Or, "Uh, I think I've heard of it before. It's just too good to not you know, have gotten the eyeballs um that it deserves. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put forward blue and green for this category as well.
0: Nice man. Excellent. Excellent. Um and then lastly, um if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, uh, which would it be? Uh
1: I uh I ended up going with Superman for all seasons, uh which feels I, I think based on some of my other answers might feel a little bit uh out of left field. But you know, at the end of the world, I feel like there's something that you need to remind you uh, about your own humanity and about um, what what the values are of, of being human to begin with. You know, as I'm watching uh, people's skeletons burn up in the in the system <laughs> and the lava uh, on top of my my supposed mountain. Um, but I, I wanted something uh, that, that sort of embraces the the beauty of the human spirit and this uh does that in in on several different levels and even though it's not necessarily my favorite comic of all time um it's something like if it were the last thing i were to ever read before the lights go off i'd be very happy with that
0: that's awesome man that's awesome um and then along with that uh, what weapon tool or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse as well um
1: i feel like it would have to be a shovel because I, I could use it in certain capacities, probably. Yeah, probably a shovel or like a pickaxe. Cause I could use it to like create some type of stairs for me to climb up. Mm. Um, and I can hopefully use it to display sediment, to create, uh, some type of walkable path for myself. (laughs) um, I, yeah, that's like the best thing my monkey brain could come up with was a shovel.
0: <laughs> nice one, good work, good work. Shovel and um, uh, a full copy of Superman for all seasons. You're yeah, all I feel
1: like I feel like that's such a badass image. Is just me with a shovel and Superman for all seasons, <laughs> <laughs> and a
0: camping chair and a parasol, and <laughs> yes, a couple that's of forties. Yeah,
1: that's yeah, that's gonna actually. Uh, if I could substitute the forties for bottles of bourbon, I'll do yeah. that. but uh this is going to be like my midlife crisis aesthetic when i'm like late 30s early 40s figuring out whether or not like i really did the right thing i'm just going to be walking around with a shovel a bottle of bourbon a parasol a lawn chair and a copy of superman for all seasons
0: that's excellent man i love it well uh trevor fernandez uh lenkovich thank you so much for sharing your comics with the apocalypse it's been a real pleasure
1: Oh man, it was it was great. I, I really enjoyed getting to answer these prompts and, and it kind of made me think about some of my favorite comics in a totally different light. <laughs> so That's... thank you for having me and, and for uh, the stimulating conversation. No worries at all, man. And uh, for
0: the listeners one more time, um, where can they find you online?
1: Yeah, uh, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram at Pocket Watch Press. You can find me on Twitter at P press. You can find me on blue sky at TFL rights. Um, and then you can subscribe to my Substack at uh, pocket dot for the uh, most up-to-date news on what I'm doing, where I'm going early looks at art free giveaways. We actually just completed a fall giveaway for our newsletter subscribers on the Substack. Um, You also get first looks at any and all of the art that we produce for uh, my upcoming comics projects. And of course, depending on when you're listening to this, you should head over to Kickstarter, check out Rise. Uh, You can access it through any one of the links in my social media, but it it really is a, a project that means the world to me. We've got an incredibly studded creative team from all around the world working on this book, trying to genuinely do something different with the superhero genre in a way that um offers up our our admiration for the genre while also taking it in a fresh direction. So I really hope you guys consider giving that a look.
0: You bet, man. You bet. Um and from what I've seen it's it looks like it's gonna gonna be uh absolutely excellent. So I'm I'm looking forward to the launch myself um i'm all signed up on the pre-launch page so um you know best of luck with that and uh you know other other than that trevor i mean i'm i'll I'll look forward to to meeting you in person at thought bubble
1: yeah man i'm super stoked uh it'll be a solo trip so as many as many uh friends as i can accumulate overseas i'm (laughs) i'm happy to do (laughs) i can't i can't drink alone it's it's a little bit less Uh, sane drinking alone
0: isn't it isn't it well thank thankfully there's a there's a mid-con party that everybody goes to so Woo. um yeah you know um yeah exactly uh, it'll be a good knees <laughs> up
1: <laughs> yeah i love that man thanks thank you again man for the for the great conversation and and for uh offering your time and and your platform you know it's uh it's because of you and people like you that that independent comics get to be made and shared with people around the world so i'm very grateful to be here Aww
0: pleasure pleasure trevor oh uh, excellent well. <laughs> best of luck and uh see you soon mate take
1: care cheers brother bye thanks again to trevor for being on comics for the apocalypse it was an absolute pleasure
0: if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes, Spotify or whichever podcast service you use as not only will we know you really liked it but believe that it, it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Trevor's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the near future. I'll see you next time. Oh my gosh, it's late. Sorry about that. Bye for now.